Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Influence with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Influence. I'm Michelle Martin, sitting across a man who's spent over 19 years advising Fortune 100 clients and the U.S. government. Tom Kellerman is Chief Cybersecurity Officer of Carbon Black, and he's seen it all when it comes to cybersecurity. He sat on the Commission on Cybersecurity during the Obama administration. He served as an advisor to the International Cybersecurity Protection Alliance, and he he thinks 2019 could be the year of digital guerrilla warfare. Welcome, Tom, to Influence. Thank you for having me. So first up, we've got to dive straight into it. Why do you think 2019 could be the year of digital guerrilla warfare? You're seeing an escalation of cyber criminal activity that's unprecedented in the last 20 years. This is compounded by the fact that nation states have embraced cyber criminals and are using them as cyber militia members to attack their adversaries in a very, very punitive fashion. Can you share with us any examples of what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, just from the perspective of uh, attacks against the the West, you're seeing a lot of uh, the best cyber criminals from Eastern Europe, Russian-speaking cyber criminals, who are acting out as they pay homage to the regime, uh, targeting multinational corporations and anyone who is... uh, negative, per se, of the regime itself. And this is compounded by the fact that even in this region, Mm -hmm. uh, you're seeing a dramatic increase of hacking activity from non-typical places. So the the Vietnamese cybercrime community has exploded um, and and their their level of sophistication has dramatically increased. Uh, North Korea uh, has incredible uh, sophistication now, in large part due to technology transfer from Russia herself. And you're seeing the implications of this long-term infestation of networks occurring uh, across the board, across all industries, from healthcare to finance. So whether it's a cyber criminal or governments, how is social engineering being used in this uh, new age fight, so to speak? So at at first, I'd like to mention to you that what's changed has been before uh, criminals would essentially burglarize you in cyberspace, Mm -hmm. steal your sensitive data, attempt to take your monies, steal your identity, etc. But now that burglary has become a home invasion in that they don't want to leave the infrastructure, the device that they've compromised, that they've taken over. After they've taken everything that they want, they then use your device and the devices of your corporation to attack those who trust your digital brand, uh, which allows them to conduct this island hopping phenomenon. So social engineering, uh, there's really two facets of that. You have obviously spear phishing where you're receiving attachments and or HTML files um, in emails that allow your computer to be compromised by a hacker. But also you have this construct of island hopping, which they take over a corporate website. And when you visit that website that day, malware is pushed into your computer through your browser. Or they leverage, they take over the email servers of corporations whom you trust. And when you receive an email from that corporation that day, you then have a compromised computer in, in which they can not only steal your identity from, mm. but they can become physically present because they can turn on the microphone or the camera specific to location or calendar. Goodness me. Tom, you've been in this space for about two decades. How would you describe today's top three cyber criminal profiles? 
Well, first and foremost, you have the cyber criminal themselves, um, financial motivations, but you're seeing this essentially pax mafiosa between governments and the cyber criminals that is creating this metamorphosis of these cyber criminals uh, into cyber militia members. Um, the main reason this has occurred is because these nation states allow these cyber criminals to remain untouchable from Western law enforcement should they hack once in a while on behalf of the nation state against select targets. And then finally, you have the researchers and the hacktivists. I put them in the same bucket, whether they're trying to increase transparency into vulnerabilities of technology or whether they're trying to increase transparency as to why governments and or corporations do what they do. This group is likened to the groups we've heard about in the news like Anonymous and Lulsec and others. And it's really their desire to increase transparency and to level the playing field for the elites of the world to, to be marginalized for that matter. When it comes to planning a well-strategized attack, what sort of resources do cyber criminals have at their disposal today that they didn't maybe a couple of years ago? Right. So Carbon Black Research has noted a number of shifts in this regard. Uh, you have non-sophisticated cyber criminals uh, leasing capabilities like ransomware from dark web forums that allow them to leverage sophisticated cybercrime conspiracies without knowing how to code whatsoever. You also have cyber criminals that can purchase own systems, backdoors into systems that have been compromised by another hacker themselves, so mm -hmm. they can freely roam that domain or that house on the internet. Essentially, a skeleton key has been provided to them. Uh, for the more sophisticated cyber criminals, they've benefited greatly from espionage. A group called Shadow Brokers, um, which many rumor to be associated with the Russians, uh, stole the weapons of the U.S. government in Vault 7, which is part of the NSA and CIA. These are cyber weapons that were built by the U.S. that were stolen and then were distributed to the underground arms bazaars of the dark web. The reason why that's important is because in that distribution of these cyber weapons, it rendered most cybersecurity technologies from firewalls to encryption to, to traditional antivirus ineffective against cyber attacks today. And this is also why you've seen an explosion of polymorphic worms and ransomware, uh, which has been a scourge uh, here in Singapore and elsewhere. Uh, as noted in the same Carbon Black study, over 90% of Singaporean businesses have been successfully compromised this past year mm. by cyber attack. But if you think about island hopping, Mm -hmm. Your worst case scenario is not just getting burglarized through a cyber attack. It's now your infrastructure, your brand, your website being used to attack your customers and your partners, unbeknownst to you. When it comes to enterprises and cyber attacks, what do you think are the areas of greatest vulnerability? So the greatest vulnerabilities for organizations, enterprises, and corporations as a whole is the lack of sufficient security on endpoints, whether they be laptops, whether they be iPads, whether they be mobile devices. If you're using an Apple device, you are vulnerable to attack. You can't no longer believe the mythology associated with the fact that you are going to be safe. Um, you need to add security software and use next-gen uh, antivirus or endpoint protection platforms across all your devices in today's day and age. In addition, um, you have challenges with the information supply chain and the security of the information supply chain for most corporations. They have implicit trust in the security that their outside general counsel or marketing firm will be providing them. And typically they're not. Typically those entities that are directly connected to their infrastructure only encrypt the data, mm. which is insufficient to stop cyber attacks in today's day and age. We're getting to know Tom Kellerman. He is Carbon Black's chief cybersecurity officer here in town for a conference. Tom, help us understand the ethical hackers that more governments are hiring. Who exactly are they? What do they do? So I, 
I was an ethical hacker, and uh, these folks are basically hired as part of professional service teams to identify all the viable attack paths that could lead into a compromise of a corporate infrastructure. So essentially, they're scrimmaging. They are spinning the chessboard, and they are helping you identify your weaknesses before they are exploited. They are explicitly hired for this purpose, and more than likely, in most cases, they're going to be providing recommendations on how they would stop themselves in order for that corporation to best protect themselves and thus protect their brand. So I guess the flip side of that is when ethical hackers turn. Have we seen ethical hackers become a threat? We, we have seen hackers that have a personality type that would allow them to become malevolent at certain times, typically when they feel disrespected or underpaid for their work. But most sophisticated hackers out there have no need to become ethical hackers because they can make far more money in the dark web than they could ever work making for a corporation. What can consumers do, Tom, to better protect themselves from becoming a potential victim when it comes to financial cyber attacks? That's a very good question. Okay, so first and foremost, they should choose the financial institution they do business with based on them having a proactive security posture, based on them actually touting and providing better security to these customers as a whole and mentioning that uh, when you conduct business with them. Um, they should be using Mozilla as a browser to access um, those websites. They should update all of their software, including their applications, on all their devices every Tuesday night when Silicon Valley produces the patches, which are critical in nature. They should be using mobile security and or next-gen antivirus security on any device that is accessing uh, those portals. They should never use public Wi-Fi uh, whatsoever, particularly when they're conducting uh, financial transactions, nor should they leave Wi-Fi and Bluetooth turned on on their devices when doing so. And last but not least, they should not keep a lot of Windows and or sessions open when they're conducting financial transactions. If you walked into a bank to open your safety deposit box, would you bring friends in with you? Would you be chatting with your friends and having coffee while you're opening your safety deposit box? No, but is your device doing that uh, when you're conducting that financial transaction? And then lastly, they should be deleting all of their temporary files after they conduct a financial transaction. It's much like ripping up the receipts associated with that transaction to ensure that nothing else stayed behind. Great advice there. Singapore recently announced new licenses for digital banks. What do you see as some of the challenges and opportunities that these banks can face when it comes to protecting data? Well, there's a dichotomy there. Um, The biggest challenge to Singaporean society and Southeast Asian society from digital banks is whether or not they'll be used as part of money laundering. And the reality that the cybercrime economy of scale that is in excess of a trillion dollars relies upon alternative payment systems and digital banking to launder the proceeds of cybercrime. Um, now, as it relates to digital banks themselves, not all are equal. Blockchain is not bulletproof. Encryption is not bulletproof. These institutions should, at a minimum, stand up what's called cyber hunt teams to effectively search their systems on a regular basis for any presence of any other bank robbers and or burglars virtually in those systems and eradicate them. In addition, uh, these organizations should be using application control um, to to ensure that applications and servers and critical systems are not manipulated by hackers so that large-scale fraud can be conducted. And finally, you know, I would tip my hat to the Monetary Authority of Singapore for being truly proactive, the most proactive financial regulator in the world. We just lauded for that um, by the IMF. And they should, and they should be commended. And, and I think that the future is bright for safety and soundness in the financial sector in Singapore because of MAS. 
in this day and age of the digital guerrilla warfare uh, that you've termed 2019 the year of, how can businesses use um, what's evolving in terms of cybersecurity to their advantage? Well, uh, cybersecurity as a whole is no longer a technology issue. It's not just a risk management issue either. Because of island hopping occurring 51% of the time where they're using your infrastructure to attack your customers, you need to appreciate this is a brand protection issue. And it is to your comparative advantage as a corporation to invest in cybersecurity. It shouldn't be seen as an expense, but rather a functionality of conducting business and, frankly, a whole construct of brand protection. If you don't know where to get the funds to supplement your cybersecurity budget, pull it from the marketing department. They were created to improve your brand and the perception of your brand, and they should be responsible, at least some of their money is associated with the protection of that brand, too. He's Tom Kellerman, Chief Cybersecurity Officer of Carbon Black. This has been Influence. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.